Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune into today's show. FTX files for bankruptcy and gets hacked, all within 24 hours. Can CZ's proposed industry recovery fund stop the bloodbath? Christopher Perkins of CoinFund and our also another guest, Ellie Benz-Sasson from Starward, will join us live today. I'm Paul Guerra, and Santiago Vélez is with me. Santiago, what a crazy week we just lived through. How are you holding up? Uh, thanks for asking. I'm doing great, and I can't say that uh, is true for a lot of people in the industry. There's uh, there's a lot of pain out there, and, and I'm very sorry about that. But what I'm hopeful for is today we're going to bring some insights from our, our awesome guests, which I think uh, can help people navigate their way through this, and we'll get out uh, much better on the other side. So thanks for having me. Of course, Adele, thank you for being with us in 100%. We have a great a great, great panel of, of experts today. And yes, self-custody is going to be one of those themes that we're going to be touching today because it's really necessary, especially nowadays. By the way, don't forget to subscribe to Real Vision Crypto. It's free. And if you're watching on YouTube, you know the drill. Smash everything, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you never miss when we go live. But now, let's jump right into the latest price action. So the market has stabilized somewhat and the total crypto market cap is around 830 billion and Bitcoin endured a torrid week. It fell 20% and now it's trading at around $16,500 and a little change from 24 hours ago, but off the lows of 5,900. So it's playing between those lines and Bitcoin hit a few hours ago that like 15900 mark and then a tweet by binance ceo cz is offering to shore up liquidity for the industry that has possibly helped also ethereum is up on a 24-hour basis after suffering a similarly awful week it fell 21 percent and now is trading at 1200 bucks however the biggest loser in the top 100 last week other than ftx's native token ftt was solana why? Of course, because it's being always said that it's being backed by FTX, so the whole Solana ecosystem has suffered, and the token lost more than 50% of its value, and now it's trading below $14. Santiago, what are your thoughts about this market today? Well, you know, if anybody was paying close attention last week, we saw a bear market rally in equities. Uh, I think a lot of that driven by the weak CPI print. Uh, that could have translated to the digital asset markets. Unfortunately, we had these ongoing real-time events that just is shaking the industry to the core. Uh, so we haven't really been a beneficiary of that rally. Um, so unfortunately, I feel where we have more uh, ways to go, more ways down, more pain. Uh, we're still suffering through this kind of secular change in Fed policy, tightening uh, financial conditions. Uh, and so until that really turns around and the narrative starts to turn around, uh, I would expect prices to continue to lower. Uh, that being said, uh, it's been surprisingly resilient given all of the bad news. Uh, but I think that there's quite a few companies that are still kind of uh, caught up in this web and we're going to see some wind downs uh, over a period of time. So it's by far not over. 
far not over. And yes, very resilient. Some people were expecting already Bitcoin to be around the $12,000 mark or something, and it's been holding up well for now. So thanks, Santiago, for your insights about price action. But now let's get into our top story. Again, once again, lots of developments. The FTX crisis has gone from bad to worse. But could there be a light at the end of the tunnel? Let's recap for everyone who hasn't been on top of the news what happened since our last show on last Thursday. And that day, some withdrawal from FTX resumed. And there was a lot of confusion who has allowed, who was allowed to make them, who was allowed to withdraw their money or their funds from FTX. But then FTX later confirmed that it was only withdrawals from the Bahamas. Only people who held funds under the Bahamian funds uh, were able to withdraw. And they said that the amounts were small relative to uh, the available funds they had. And that made a lot of people on Twitter very suspicious. And then Friday, the company announced that it filed for bankruptcy protection in the United States. Also, they said that Sam Bagman fried SBF, was out as the CEO, and they replaced him by John Ray. Then, boom, another bombshell fell, and it was that the company's general counsel, Ryan Miller, confirmed on Telegram, and he, uh, here we quote, FTX has been hacked. FTX apps are malware, delete them, chat is open, don't go on the FTX site, as it might download Trojans. End quote. So Coindesk reported that hundreds of millions of dollars were transferred out illegally. Even some people on crypto Twitter were saying that this was an inside job and it, all of this is yet to be seen. But the company is also facing a criminal investigation in the Bahamas. And a few minutes ago, it was also broken that uh, the South District of New York is also opening an investigation on FTX. So this is all unfolding as we're talking here. And the carnage ensued over the weekend. To put a backstop, a few hours ago, Binance CEO Chang Peng Zhao, also known as CZ, announced that he will launch a quote, industry recovery fund to help projects who are otherwise strong, but in a liquidity crisis, end quote. Santiago, what do you make of all of this? You know, in Spanish, we have a word, telenovela, which is a <laughs> ongoing uh, drama. Uh, it, it, my wife, who's not interested in digital assets at all, has find this incredibly captivating. This is going to make a, a Netflix documentary someday uh, for the ages. Uh, so th this is this is going to keep going. Uh, people need to pay close attention and make sure that they take action. Uh, don't wait for uh, someone to come and rescue you. This, these are highly unregulated markets. There won't be a bailout from the government. Um, and bankruptcy proceedings can take years. So um, protect yourself, take, make good practices, uh, and, and pay attention to what's going on. You know, with respect to Binance, um, this may seem like a, a kind of a, a white horse situation, white knight situation, a savior, but we need to be careful. Uh, this, this space was predicated on building decentralized ecosystems uh, and peer-to-peer -peer transactions. And so to kind of uh, put our put our put our future in the hands of, of a few uh, larger institutions would be the wrong direction in my opinion. So I, I feel that this is an opportunity to re-examine the things that went wrong uh, and uh, build build building it. Start from scratch. Uh, take these lessons learned and, and build something better. So let's not make uh, some more mistakes. Yeah, and it's it's ironic because actually a few months ago we were always talking about SBF. He was calling himself like a white knight of crypto. He was supposedly to be the savior who was helping companies on the bridge of bankruptcy. Now here we are. But well, for this we have a great panel of guests today. Let's bring them in. 
Christopher Perkins is the president at CoinFund, and it is a crypto investment firm. And we are also joined by Eli Ben Sasson. He's a co-founder and president of Starkware, the creator of the blockchain scalability solution, Starknet. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us on. Of course. Please, let's start with you, Chris. FTX collapse has been called by some the Lehman moment for crypto. Some others say it's more similar to Enron, but most call it the Lehman moment for crypto. For those who don't know, the fall of the Lehman Brothers Investment Bank was widely seen as a major contributing factor to the 2008 financial crisis. Chris, you were there when Lehman fell. Tell us what it's like. What is what to be there at those the trading floor, those offices when all this unfolded? You made a great Twitter thread about this. so. How could a company the size of Lehman or the size of FTX in 2022 terms collapse like that? Yeah, I was sitting there on the trading floor when we went bankrupt at Lehman. And I'll start by saying FTX is not Lehman. It's not Enron. It's going to be unique and weird. We have no idea what's going to come out through the wash. Um, and it's and, and it's something to, to think about. But I tweeted about this because sitting on the floor, I think there are some similarities, particularly if you're an employee. And, you know, the first thing is, is that I'm about 100% sure that the vast preponderance of FTX employees had very little to nothing to do with this. These are good people. These are hardworking people. These are the smartest people in the room, and they're really good people. I had a chance to speak to a lot of them, and I said, look, let me guess. You have no idea what's going on. Um, you had no clue that that you know this type of behavior was happening behind closed scenes. You don't know what the future is going to bring. You're, you're, you're sad. You're upset. You're angry. Um, and, and they all agreed with it. And so I guess what I was trying to do is, is to explain to them that, you know, out of these ashes, phoenixes do rise. And um, I think despite the, the challenges, this is a major setback, a major setback. And that said, it's important to look toward the future. And, and what are some of those important things to learn? First, um, you made a great point, Santiago. The whole idea of blockchain technology is to enable decentralization, right? This is an example of extreme centralization. Like I said, not even the employees were involved in most of this stuff. It was a handful of players. Um, and, and, and again, this is not unique to crypto. We saw it with Lehman Brothers. We saw it with MF Global. I know Raul Paul, uh, he tweeted about that recently. Peregrine, long-term capital management, Bear Stearns, right? It's the same formula. The formula is one of tight central control, very, very opaque, a ton of opacity, right? a misunderstanding of, of leverage and risk management. And, and for whatever reason, we've failed to, I mean, I, I still think that there's gonna be this desire for, for C5. There, I mean, people want it. Why do they want it? We think probably because of the experience. And so as we look forward, I think we not need to go back to first principles. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to enable this thing called DeFi. And DeFi, um, the goal is inclusive markets. But to really make that goal a reality, um, we need to think about why it has, why we're still going to CFI. And I think a lot of it has to do with client experience, and it's, some, it's a theme that we have to develop. Is, but, but the long short of it is, heart goes out to those FTX employees. They're going to reemerge. Um, and you know, for me, after we went bankrupt at Lehman, it gave me an opportunity for a second to pick my head up and say, "Gosh, if I stayed here, I would have been along this like you know this very linear trajectory." But I think you're going to see a lot of people break out of this, learn a lot from it, um, and hopefully res the result will be some exponential growth, I think. And, and that's what I'm excited about. You know, as a firm, we're focusing on our portfolio companies right now. How can we help them? 
Um, you know, we had very, very limited exposure to FTX. That's a good thing. Uh, and so it's about how do we help our portfolio? You know, what services do they need? How do we bring them through this, this, this challenging period? You know, and the last thing I'll say is that, you know, I knew SBF. Um, I testified with him. And I testified about, you know, around a very nuanced part of regulation that I was trying to solve. Um, and it went back to futures markets. And, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I stand by my testimony. I, I encourage people to read it. And what I was trying to do is I was trying to um, reduce the dependency on intermediaries in the system, right, in order to try to accomplish this dream of greater decentralization. So uh, anyway, long, long answer to, to a very thoughtful question, and I look forward to discussing it further. Chris, if I might jump in here, um, what do you feel the role of kind of this cult of personality played in this? Uh, I feel that there was a lot of social validation, social signaling that that uh, you know gave people a confidence and trust um, what, in what should be a trustless system, a trustless transfer. So what, what's your view on that? How did that play in here? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, if we step back and we're honest with each other, um, I think a lot of the investors uh, in FTX, um, they, they, for whatever reason, got swept up in a lot of the hype and many different controls were missed. Um, I think you would argue that the same sort of controls were missed with, with something like a, like a Madoff. And again, I'm not comparing the two. I don't know enough about FTX. Nobody does yet. But there should be boards. There should be governance. There needs to be checks and balances. Um, you know, things were way too opaque. And I think a lot of people overlooked that, you know, and and, and it's an issue. And, and I think going forward, people need cycles repeat, right? And then when the next crazy bull cycle comes around, it's going to be imperative that people remember that governance matters and transparency matters and boards have an important role. Um, so, so yeah, absolutely. I thought that was, was, was part of it. And, and, you know, speaking of governance, uh, we can talk about the regulator uh, and the fact that uh, this started off as an offshore exchange uh, has now trickled into many uh, U.S. domestic companies and U.S. Uh, FTX U.S. Uh, but what role do you think the regulator either did or did not play or, or maybe uh, should have played? Uh, what's your view there? And, and I also I encourage uh, Eli, Ellie to, to weigh in as well. Ellie, did you want to go first? Um, on the role of regulator? Uh, well. Okay, so first of all, I, I want to start by also expressing my, um, um, my my deep feelings for all those who lost money in FTX. Uh, they certainly are the first to get hurt and the last uh, to, to be blamed for anything. It's uh, harrowing and very unfortunate, and my heart uh, goes out to all those who lost their funds and then to the uh, employees Peter was mentioning that they, you know, they also did an honest job and didn't even know what was going on. Um, that's very important to remember that at the end, many people have been hurt, um, and that's that's very unfortunate. Um, I think that well, crypto is really about bringing back the peer-to-peer -peer nature of commerce 
in an electronic setting. The peer-to-peer -peer nature of commerce has been the essence of commerce for millennia, and we now live in this uh, period of somewhat aberration where almost all of our financial transactions go through central parties. And that's, of course, bad. And crypto is a fix to that, so it's a much needed fix. Um, here, what we have is a situation where because of various technological and other reasons, people were lured into ceding custody and control over their assets to someone who promised them a lot and then misappropriated those funds and uh, uh, mistreated them and uh, basically seemingly, you know, based on what we see so far on Twitter and so on, uh, cheated and ran off and did things that were uh, not warranted. And that's very unfortunate. There are several different ways this could be fixed. One is to say, okay, centralized parties are a thing that must exist. And because they must exist, someone needs to uh, regulate them. And then there's a role for regulation. Um, the very interesting thing about crypto is that it also opens the door to things like self-regulation uh, via cryptography, transparency, inclusivity. Um, if you take even Bitcoin, you know, the mother of all blockchains, it is not regulated and double spends are not prevented by regulation. They are prevented by a mixture of cryptography and open peer-to-peer -peer protocol and um, uh, transparency. So um, there are similar ways in which you could also have better um, ways to control funds and exchanges and even when they're centralized and I don't object to uh, the correct kind of regulation but as we all know from too many settings and you know I read some reports today I forgot it was on Fortune or on Forbes that for instance the SEC which is supposed to be the top regulator that should regulate such things actually well, the way I think they phrased it was that all of this happened under its nose. So, you know, I, I for one, would prefer, I don't object to good regulation. I'm a bit wary of it, that often it, it actually permits such things. Um, so I'm much more a proponent of technological, um, you know, and protocol kinds of assurances that guarantee integrity, which means that the right thing is done even when no one is watching. And, and Actually, I that, that, oh, go ahead. Sorry, no, I just wanted to ask uh, Ellie because of his uh, expertise through Starkware. Actually, uh, about self-custody, how can we uh, explain this to people who are watching or maybe listening to this on the podcast, that how can they prevent this in layman's terms, maybe zero knowledge proofs? What sorts of ways can people take action in order to take care of their own custody, their own funds, their own crypto, their own assets in order to prevent this from keep happening? Because we're in 2022 if this story keeps repeating itself. So to a lay person that doesn't know, uh, you know, the math and technology, I would just say that um, self-custody in the end means for you as an end user that you own the keys that, and only you own the keys to your funds and to your, even if they're on exchange or whatnot. So if you think about it, most exchanges, and of course FTX was, one such exchange, we call them centralized exchanges, they basically said, you don't have to worry about your keys 
your private keys. You don't have to go and let's say buy this frightening hardware or like, you know, write your passphrase in a frightening way that you may lose it. No, just trust us. We have this very smart MIT graduate that everyone loves and his team, what could go wrong? Um, when you talk about self-custody, the simplest thing is to understand that it means that you as a trader on an exchange or as a holder of cryptocurrency, you should be holding the keys to your funds. You can, and it's actually not that hard to do it. Um, you know, you hold the keys to your apartment, you hold the keys to your car, you actually are in control of your physical well-being. These are far more frightening and consequential things. It's not so frightening and it's not so hard to adopt measures by which you can control the custody of your tokens, which again means you hold the keys. And then there's a variety of platforms that will give you a very pleasant uh, you know, trading and transacting interface while still allowing you to hold your keys. That's what it means for you, you know, the end user that doesn't know anything about how it works. I think this goes back to Chris's point earlier about there will always be a desire for uh, a, a customer service and experience that is kind of curated. And we shouldn't confuse that with the kind of responsibility that comes with holding digital assets, which are these bare instruments. Um, so we want to make sure that we strike our good balance. You know, I mean, personally, I would what I would recommend at some very basic common sense steps is to essentially divorce the activities that occur on centralized exchanges, right? So we could have, uh, you know, lending and borrowing. We, we could have uh, just the simple act of, of, of exchanging peer-to-peer -peer trades, facilitating a trade. Um, and those two activities may not uh, mix without certain uh, criteria being met. Uh, so, you know, that, that's a good first step. And frankly, this is the most transparent technology to have ever existed in, in mankind. So there's no excuse that we don't have proof of reserves, proof of liabilities, Merkle trees, things that allow individuals, if they do want to subject themselves to some temporary exposure on a trade, um, to verify that that what those what the counterparty risk really is. Um, so with that, I, I want to ask uh, Chris, what are your thoughts then on how, how should we proceed? Right? We've got DeFi on the one hand, we've got these centralized exchanges. What, what are your recommendations? No, I, I loved what you talked about, going back to principles and, you know, all regulation should be principle-based. Legislation should be principle-based. You know, one of the things that, that's been frustrating for me is that I feel like this was a failure of policy because we don't have the policies in place that, you know, effectively, you know, enabled the regulators to do their job uh, because it just was, wasn't very clear. But love the point that you made around transparency. I mean, that's what blockchain delivers. And darn it, it's really hard to facilitate fraud, manipulation, and abuse if everything is transparent and on chain, right? And so we really need to engage these principles. When you, when you, the second principle I'll talk about is inclusivity, right? You don't have to go through a loan officer who looks at the color of your skin or you know makes some subjective decision if you should have access to liquidity or not. If A equals B, then C, and, and that's a good thing, right? And so where do we go from here? I think there's going to be uh, a significant amount of policy action which will result in simultaneous regulatory action. Um, I would argue that now is the time to be more engaged than ever on those two fronts, um, because I think there's just a lack of general um, knowledge across those, those two bases. And we have to educate people on those principles that I described earlier and how we can apply those principles 
Oh, by the way, if the protocol wants to change, typically there's a vote and there's democratic governance around it, right? These are these are Western values, right? This is not, you know, dictatorial central control. These are these are Western values. So how do we translate those values into outputs? How do we translate them into, you know, the, the promise of inclusivity only comes with great adoption, right? Otherwise, it's just a very niche business. So I think it's just very important that we go back to focusing on the values and then solving for some of those gaps, user experience, uh, et cetera. You know, I, I'm glad you mentioned um, this idea of inclusion because that means scalability. Uh, and a lot of times what's happened is that the centralized exchanges have taken on the role of addressing some of the scalability problems that, that the layer ones have. You know, in other words, if everybody were to try and do their trade and execute at scale, on the layer ones, they would seize up. It wouldn't function correctly on, on a DAX or the fees might be prohibited. Uh, but we have layer two solutions. So uh, on that, uh, Elliot, can you can you talk about maybe how Stark where would solve some of that, could take some of the burdens off uh, of the scalability issues and relieve some of the need for that centralization? Yeah, so um, uh, a major reason that um, centralized exchanges are the go-to place to many customers is because um, if you want to transact directly on, on blockchain on places like Ethereum, um, it's going to be very cumbersome and it's going to be very costly. And basically, the deal that centralized exchanges like FTX have been offering customers is, okay, you send once your Ether, let's say, or Bitcoin to us, and then you just talk to us and we basically settle everything on our books. Okay, well, there are a set of technologies. Um, Starkwares is one of them. Uh, it's called a validity rollup, but there are others that use optimistic rollups and other techniques by which you can have the scale and throughput and low cost of a centralized exchange. Also, even through a very um, um, easy to use interface that, that, that uh, gives you very fast finality and a very good user experience, while still having very low fees. And you always maintain custody of your funds. So let me just explain what it means. Um, in a self-custodial exchange, and I can just mention several examples of, of such things. There's a DYDX, a Canvas, Rhino, and there are some in the NFT world, um, Surveyor and Immutable X, and there are a few others. Um, what happens is um, basically you deposit your funds, but you still control them. You are the only one that has the keys. So if there is a, you know, an SBF that would want to take the funds that are in the exchange and put them as collateral or send them off to some other location, he cannot do this. It is prevented in a cryptographic way by the blockchain and by the cryptography that supports these systems. It is impossible to send them. He can send these funds to the same extent that he can send the US dollars in your bank account that he has no access to, okay? So these are self-custodial exchanges and they have been around for several years. Um, they are very trustworthy. The, the technology works great, and you know I I, I implore the you you know the customers and traders and users to look into self custody and also demand it from the exchanges that they work with. Now, I want to mention another thing in this context. One other solution that has been advanced recently as the answer to this problem by, for instance, CZ and others is proof of reserve. 
So what does proof of reserve mean? It is some sort of self-regulation and self-auditing, which means that the centralized exchange using a proof of reserve still has full control of all the assets, okay? And it can, if it so chooses, can send them off to some other address and location. However, once in a while, let's say once per day or once per month, um, it needs to generate a cryptographic proof that is impossible to forge, that it still controls certain keys. So the difference between self, full self-custody and a proof of reserve mechanism is a proof of reserve mechanism is something that will let you post factum know that something went wrong. So it's like something that, you know, you're, you're going to see the smoke as the, as the fire is already going on. Whereas a fully self-custodial uh, solution will prevent this fire. It is, you know, like fire-prone, sorry, fire-resistant material that just does not burn. So uh, I, of course, think that adding to th places like Binance uh, proofs of reserve is a step forward. Right now, we basically just have to trust, you know, CZ or to trust Brian Armstrong with Coinbase or to trust, you know, Jesse Powell with Kraken and so on and so on. Well, we trusted SBF with FTX and we saw how that ended. So definitely having a proof of reserve is a step forward, but the, the solution and the thing people should be demanding and asking for is fully self-custodied uh, exchanges in which it's beyond proving that you own the reserves. It, it, you are prevented even as the exchange operator from sending those funds elsewhere. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line, it's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI, it's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. If I could chime in, I think those are incredible points. Proof of reserves are important. Self-custody, totally get it. Um, but let's go back to Lehman and what happened there. And and let's talk about how we can take those lessons forward. So, you know, when I was sitting running my derivatives book and we went insolvent, people would call up, like I said in my tweet, they'd say, hey, give me my money back. But the fact is, is that it wasn't their money because legally it now became property of the estate. So I would also add to everything you're saying, Ellie, by saying that we need to be, um, we need a legal overlay to, to deliver something called segregation. And so in the aftermath of the crisis, those assets are further for clients legally segregated. So they're they're the remote of bankruptcy that provider. Um, and there are numerous different examples of existing legal precedent, whether it's the 4D segregation of the FTC Commodities and Exchange Act, uh, or tri-party uh, ACAs is an example that that, that evolved that crisis. So there's very tech. It gets very technical, but I would also suggest that you can make it even stronger with an appropriate legal overlay that delivers segregation, le perfected legal segregation of assets. So, you know, if, if the uh, if the company goes, the, the, the funds are protected, of course, accompanied by that proof of reserve. Yeah, yeah and that's 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 actually act to proof of liabilities. You know, what, what good are proof of reserves if you don't even know the other side of the balance sheet? Uh, so yeah. I, I think in the future, the best combination is going to be legal assurances and technical blockchain assurances. And w w whatever, however, 
the end user decides to uh, participate in this space, whether it's through a centralized or a decentralized manner, they will have layers of protection. They'll have the tools they need to, to do so safely. If, if, I, if I may just um, say one thing. So of course I, I support legal, uh, legal enforcement and legal separations of, of, of things. I just wanna say that the blockchains also have this really amazing, you know, this goes back to Satoshi's ingenious uh, invention. They, and, and this phrase, code is law. In certain cases, um, the code and the protocols and the cryptography are so powerful that of course you should also have law, but they they sort of, they, they do better. I'll give an example. So you have laws against uh, forging a dollar bill, right? Which is essentially uh, in blockchain world, you would say this is a double spin right. because you have like $2 uh, that should have been where there should have been one. Um, in blockchain world, for instance, on Bitcoin, um, of course, you don't want to allow a double spend. The way it is prevented is by this amazing, you know, invention of blockchains and proof of work and consensus protocol and transparency and all of the cryptography that goes into it. So there's also a bunch of cryptography that allows you to operate self-custodially in a way that prevents certain things. So for instance, it actually prevents the operator of the exchange from taking the funds and misusing them in any way that is not part of what the code allows them to do. And of course, I support also having legal structures for those cases that are not enforced by the code, but blockchain does a little bit better and offers an even higher um, you know, bar of, of integrity. Uh, yeah, I would add that you know, this is a spectrum because you could have instances of centralized parties interfacing even at the blockchain level. So I'll give you an example. With DeFi, you could have a, a wrapped Bitcoin or you could have a stable coin with, that was issued by a counterparty like Tether or Circle. In both those instances, you could have the smart contract execute exactly as programmed and no, nobody could double spend or divert. Uh, but those counterparties issued those assets essentially as an IOU. That wrapped Bitcoin is in held, the actual Bitcoin is held with that custodian uh, mm -hmm. or the dollar is held with uh, the, the issuer of the stable coin. And so in that case, um, the the, the blockchain could execute, the smart contract could execute perfectly, but those counterparties could still fail. Those assets could be uh, lost. And so, you know, in the future, uh, I would hope that we come out with versions of those things that without the need for uh, uh, these counterparties, maybe through MPC or other more technical solutions. Uh, but, I, but I definitely think that we'll, we'll always be a good combination. Of yeah, Elliot, I don't disagree with anything that you said. Uh, I totally, totally makes a ton of sense. And that's how we look at the world as well. Um, but when I look at the example of, of FTX, uh, you know, where we're operating in an opaque, centrally controlled, um, you know, environment, then I'm suggesting that, you know, those types of legal segregation coupled with that transparency and proof of reserves makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I also add that even that there are just certain cases where you must, that you just cryptography doesn't solve. I'll, I'll give an example. You mentioned like stable coins. So stable coins that are back, you know, someone is saying, I actually have a million dollars in a safe or in a bank account, and now I'm issuing a million dollars. So here the cryptography won't help. You need, you really need legal and auditing frameworks to make sure that in this other uh, universe that the blockchain doesn't know of, right? The banking world or, you know, a safe, there is, I mean, I mean, a physical safe, right? There actually are, you know, honest, uh, you know, a million greenbacks sitting there. Um, so certainly, uh, I of course agree with 
with with Peter and Santiago and like and Paul, there's always going to be a need for um, uh, legal regulation and legal frameworks. The nice thing is that there are certain cases where actually cryptography could complement that in a very powerful way that is impossible in conventional uh, finance. Very interesting conversation, guys. Thank you so much for all your insights. And let's jump actually to our key takeaways for what we've been hearing and talking from you. We're talking about some transparency, also the need for self-custody, some need for improvement reserves. We're also talking about segregation of funds. Chris was also speaking not only here, but on his Twitter thread that DeFi is the solution. So he also elaborated on that. Is there anything else that you guys would like to add? What are you key takeaways so our audience could take those to marinate on and contemplate them later? You know, there'll be opportunities coming out of this. There'll be a lot of lessons learned. I think it's important to, you know, it's going to take some time to get over this, but but I think as a community, we need to continue to stay focused on the future and, and really continue to stay focused on the principles we're trying to deliver. Uh, setback, but I still think we have a very bright future in front of us. Uh, we need to take care of each other and uh, and look to the future. My my takeaway, first of all, I'm very optimistic about the future as well of blockchain and of uh, self-custody and of uh, cryptography that underlies it. Um, we're seeing uh, tremendous strides in the right direction. And actually, you know, this is a very tragic and catastrophic blow up, but it, it will clean the waters at least temporarily. Uh, my advice to everyone is that when you, this, this has happened so many times in human history and it's going to happen again. When you see something that's just so shiny and so like, you know, going to the moon and like uh, no questions should be asked and like self-perpetuating, um, you know, try to be skeptic about it. Try to, you know, at least um, hedge against the possibility that maybe it's another, you know, Madoff, Ponzi, uh, SBF uh, ha in the happening uh, because when there's you know, greed and uh, desire to make, uh, you know, a quick uh, buck, these kinds of uh, behaviors are going to reappear. So just beware and, uh, you know, do your research, be careful, stick to fundamentals. I'll, I'll just add one final thought there. Uh, you know, we've had many of these individuals on Real Vision, you know, SBF, uh, Alice Mashinsky, et cetera. Uh, so we're committed to raising the bar, just asking more detailed questions, providing more information so that uh, you know, we have a responsibility as well. If we're bringing content to our users um, and they're taking that and it's actionable, we want to make sure that we deliver as much detail and information so that users can make the best decision possible. So we're going to continue to do that and continue to provide that perspective. And that's my personal commitment as well. Yeah, and also we need, uh, as the old guy said, uh, there's a need for regulation and let's hope it comes fast because we can't keep waiting for all this uh, house of cars to keep collapsing and then, okay, it's time to regulate. First we had Terra, then we had like uh, the whole Celsius thing, Tornado Cash, now FTX. So there's so many things that keep happening and we need also to get some, some regulation in order to give people some assurance. Also, as you said, Chris, and also you, Ellie, touched at some point, the UX has to be improved in some sort of way to make it more friendly for people because that's probably why another reason they jump to a centralized exchange because it's easier to use so the ux has to be improved and there's going to be some time to where people are going to be very skittish about uh crypto 
some sort of PTSD, but in order we need to put the house together and things will start to come through. But now let's jump to some viewer questions. First, we have, and thank you for, for all your questions, guys, everyone tuning in and watching. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to smash the like button. Here, this one comes from MBZ on YouTube, and he says, can you guys talk about the personal relationship between CZ and SBF? This seems real personal. I can't because I, I I don't have any knowledge of that. Uh, um, yeah. As a third party, it looks like Game of Thrones. I can't help. Uh, <laughs> you know, it looks like um, I, I always find it odd that one exchange might have their tokens on another. Uh, that's that's strange to me, but uh, it's played out in unexpected ways. I think that this this industry is very interrelated and commingled. Um, and these unwinds can become systemic. I'm just glad that it hasn't spilled over into the general economy. We're still learning the lesson. So uh, it, it's a it's a novela. Yeah, it I think interconnectedness is is always an item of systemic risk when you think about it. Um, very important. When you step back and you think about what is healthy market structure, healthy market structure are multiple exchanges all competing um, you know, for price and for better client experience, et cetera. I think that should be the goal. And, and maybe the goal is not just you know, centralized uh, exchanges you know, fighting for that liquidity and market share. You know, it'd be wonderful to see DeFi also being part of that agenda, but like, we don't want a concentrated marketplace. That's not good for anybody. We want to find a ways that we're yeah. healthy competition uh, and price action. All right, let's jump to our next question. Norman Brown on YouTube says, a lot of talk about SBF lobbying for a crypto bull, but unclear on details. What specifically about that bill was controversial? How would it have, for example, benefited FTX or hurt Binance? I, I, I can't speak to how it would have hurt uh, Binance per se, but you know there was a leaking of the bill and, and bills go through a lot of sausage making. Um, and, and it's very difficult to, to ascertain, you know, through the process what's real. But what it sounded like was that the advocacy that was being pursued was to make DeFi regulated like CFI. And that that caused a lot of uh, consternation within the community. And I think rightfully so, because DeFi and CFI are different. Uh, and so it's very important to have nuanced principles based regulation that acknowledges those differences. I don't have direct knowledge of of SBF or or the FTX team, you know, specifically advocating to make it exactly the same. Um, and so, hopeful that now we can step back and talk about the again the principles that are different and how those principles should be um, deployed and executed when we come to regulation. Because, like I said, DeFi transparent, difficult for fraud manipulation and abuse, much different than the opacity that we've seen on the CFI side. So it's imperative that we engage and we educate people. I mean, if you go to like a website like defirate.com, it's all centralized organizations. I don't know if it's still up, but that education piece is so important because otherwise, you know, the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater. Yeah. Thank you to all of you. It's been a pleasure to having you on the show. Thank you so much, Santiago, Chris, and Ellie for your insights and for sharing with the audience. It's been great to have you on today's show. And yeah, please feel free to join us anytime soon for a continuation of this conversation because this has a lot of, uh, we could keep going for hours. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. And that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free. For those of you watching on YouTube, smash everything, the like button, the bell, and subscribe. And tomorrow we'll be joined by Jeff Dorman from Arca. And you don't want to miss that. It's going to be great. So see you at noon Eastern time and 5 p.m. London time live on the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Oh!